You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's another glorious day here in TW11. It's Wednesday the 6th of September. Following up from yesterday, the Department of Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee quizzed MPs, ministers and representatives of the Gambling Commission. Neil Channing, betting analyst and professional punter, will be along later to give you all the lowdown on that. Plus, he'll provide a rejoinder to some of the comments made yesterday by Clear Stakes' Tom Farrell. Looking further ahead, we continue to preview Irish Champions Weekend, also what's been happening in the sales ring at the Somerville sale, looking ahead to the Goss Yorton sale, which is where I will be tomorrow. Uh, Plus, we will be launching this year's nominations process for the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards with last year's winner, Sarah Guest. But first, when will the fixture list for British racing appear for 2024? Uh, a few weeks ago, the BHA suggested that its plans for premierization, for decongesting Saturday afternoons and to bring racing into a, a brave new world of consumer and punter friendliness was just around the corner. Uh, David Yates uh, from the Daily Mirror is with me. In a moment, we're going to be hearing from the chief executive of Weatherby Racecourse, John Joe Sanderson. David, what did the BHA promise us? The British Horse Racing Authority held that media briefing on the 16th of August, Nick, and at it, the Chief Operating Officer of the BHA, Richard Wayman, said, and I quote, we'll put out the full fixture list in mid-September, including all of the details about what a premier fixture is, the prize money values, the quality of them. Now, he also said when he was asked where the money was going to come from for the fixtures. He said, you cannot have a premier fixture and then continue the same as before in terms of money. He made further reference to the redistribution of money from elsewhere into premier meetings. And I suspect that if there is going to be a delay to uh, the publication of the fixed list, it's that last part of the Richard Wayman quote that might be at issue here. Well, one of the key stumbling blocks to the composition of the new fixture list, the premierization and the decluttering of Saturday afternoons was the objections, chiefly from small independent racecourses. One of the most vociferous objectors was John Joe Sanderson, chief executive of Weatherby Racecourse. I asked him a little earlier today exactly where he felt we were in the fixture process for 2024. Yeah, we were all approached uh, with the concept and, yeah, yes, we all had grave concerns at the beginning of this, but I think, you know, I think it's fair to say there's been a sort of spirit of collaboration in order to see this trial, um, which has been, which has been um, come together now for two years. We're going to trial the concept for 24 and 25 and, and certainly small independent racecourses have, have helped facilitate that. But there, we, you know, there were certain conditions around how and when we were going to move our fixtures, which are just being finalised now. I, uh, I gather between um, the sort of industry leaders, um, and then I, I, I think we're looking at sort of um, some ratification by both the BHA board and the levy board next week, and possibly then the publication of the fixture list thereafter, um, re- relatively quickly thereafter. So, so I think you know we're, we're virtually. Um, into the last half furlong to to bring in a, a racing metaphor um rather than being a couple of furlongs out i think we're you know we're, we're half a furlong from the finish um where where most people should be happy with with where they've got to okay so what what compromises have, have you had to make or what changes have you had to make in order to make it, it work for everybody 
Um, well, obviously, you know, the, the strategy revolved, as you said, about decongesting Saturday afternoons, which, um, you know, there's a theory that there was an oversupply of fixtures in on some days. And we, you know, there were some very, very important Saturday afternoon fixtures for small independent race courses that we simply, you know, the businesses would potentially um, suffer irrevocable damage if we'd move them. So we came to a sort of a scaled back version of the of the decongestion um, where we've got, um, I think it's around 25-ish fast Saturdays where fixtures are moving and they're not all small independents. The Jockey Club have, have contributed and ARC have contributed enormously and the large independents um, have had to you know step in and, and move a fixture or two. So whilst it's not been a full year um exercise there is a there's a sort of half year program for the next two years and in order to do that we you know we we foresee that we're going to see significant volumes of, of income reduced by starting certainly here at weatherby we're due to start one fixture next december at about ten thirty in the morning well you know with all the best will in the world that's not going to be as successful as a saturday afternoon um and yes we can mitigate costs marginally but largely when you open a race course most of the costs are fixed um you know the staff levels are fixed the utilities are fixed and it's the, the variable income of, of crowds and hospitality is, is something that's out of our control and and so you know we simply couldn't we, i mean i've got a fiduciary duty to to whether be racecourse to make sure that the business does not suffer um damage and so therefore we've had to sort of express our feelings to to the you know the bha and then the, the thoroughbred group that by moving these fixtures, these racecourses could be damaged, and we've had to sort of talk around. It's not compensation, but we've got to try and get some sort of support payment or racing program payment that um, that allows these fixtures to move and for this trial to take place to see if it's successful in the long run for the sport as a whole. So, is that going to happen? Are you going to get? I know you don't want to say compensated, but are you going to get uh, something to to sugar the pill uh, so you'll you'll be able to continue? Well, I very much. That's what we've been working towards, Nick, for the last couple of months. Um, and have you have you been given assurances that that's going to be the case? Well, it's got. I mean, this has got to ultimately. Where does the money come from in horse racing? It comes from the levy board. Um, you know, so the levy board have got to be comfortable that they're that they're you know that the money is going to the right cause, so to speak. Um, and the, the, our partners at the BHA and the Thoroughbred Group have got to be comfortable as well. Which you know, we've we've there's been a lot of negotiation and discussions to make sure that everyone is on can can, ex, can see the reasons why we've demonstrated that there needs to be some some support. Um, which I think I'm hopeful that we've we've gone past that point now, and it's just a question of of um, everybody being comfortable with, with the quantum. Now, I don't know quite where we got to on the quantum. Um, and, and if and when those two boards approve the approve the, the process and, the, and the, the payments or the support, then yes, we'll be happy. If, you know, God forbid that doesn't happen, then I think, you know, we're probably one step forward and two steps backwards. John Josanison there, Chief Executive of Weatherby Racecourse. David Yates, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, it's it's interesting. We could pick out quite a few quotes here, Nick. One was John Joe Sanders had said, we are in the last half furlong, uh, to use a racing metaphor. But it sounds uh, from a few of the other quotes that he said, it might be a, a half furlong with a stiff uphill finish and run on bottomless ground. Um, it sounds like uh, we're not there yet in terms of agreement and that there are quite a few uh, things that still have to be hammered out. Um just to return to Richard Wayman's quote, he said that it would be mid-September when we would know all of the details. Well, we're on the 6th of September now, so 30 days have September. 
nine days until September the 15th. It sounds like, um, to, to use a, a phrase from the, the trainer's lexicon, it's going to be something of a race against time. All right, so it might be, as, as Dave's saying there, a, a race against time. And you heard from John Joe Sanderson that, you know, he's, he's trying to enter the spirit of collaboration, but I'm, I still have his final words there ringing in my ears. We could be one step forward and two steps back. And of course, you know, ultimately, if there is money to be found, as, as John Joe pointed out, it has to be found from the levy board, even if it comes in the shape of a, a prize money a grant rather than um, direct compensation. The chair of the levy board is, is Paul Darling, uh, KC, who's with me now. Um, Paul... Uh, what's the levy board's role ultimately going to be in deciding whether or not the, the BHA and the industry's plans for premierisation um, come to fruition? Well, we get applications for funding from racing, which we then scrutinise in accordance with the principles in managing public money, because the levy, whilst it is provided by punters through bookmakers is public money and we have to spend it in accordance with public money and I can assure everyone that the levy board will be scrutinising these proposals extremely carefully. They're novel and we've been through a process discussing them with racing over the last few months receiving their submissions. We are not going to be rushed into it. The levy board meets next Thursday. It will consider the proposals insofar as it can. It will not simply, uh, words I've heard elsewhere, nod them through. It will scrutinise them carefully. It will consider them. It will do one of four things. It will either approve the package or it will um, approve it in in whole or it will approve it in part or it will reject it um, or it will ask for more information. Now, uh, I don't know which of those is going to happen um, and I don't, you know, one could price up the four alternatives quite carefully but I can assure everyone that we will be not we'll be looking at them extremely carefully through our eyes um, and I know it sounds um, dramatic we are public servants appointed or part of the board is appointed by government to, to decide how public money should be spent and there's no question that we will simply accept without without scrutinizing that which racing puts forward and I'm sure racing wouldn't expect us to what are the key concerns that the levy board would have at the moment? Well, the, 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 the first point, the, 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 I think there are three points. Firstly, obviously, our powers to spend money uh, and to disperse money are in accordance with the statute for the improvement of horse racing, uh, being one of the statutory purposes. And we'd have to satisfy ourselves that it was for the purpose of horse racing. Secondly, um, we obviously, where there are um, and that it was properly spent under the statute. Secondly, where there are changes from spending in the past, we'd want to be satisfied that the changes were appropriate. And thirdly, we'd want to go under the bonnet of the um, of the proposals, which are said to be important, so as to improve premier, so as to improve the quality of racing. We want to. We will be testing that and asking ourselves whether the evidence for that has been sufficiently put forward. Now, it doesn't. That doesn't mean that one has to have every little item evidenced item by item. But we'll be doing that review. You have to remember that the prize money, the sort of allocation that we're talking about here, is in excess of seventy million pounds of public money. Now, historically, a large part of that has been spent on prize money, and distribution of it is. 
what we're principally being concerned, we've been principally concerned with. But the reality is that this is a large, very large amount of public money that we as a, a, a board have to dig down and make sure that what is being said to us stacks up. Paul Darling, KC, their chair of the levy board, with a stark reminder to Racing's rulers that it has to have its house in order and plans firmly laid out before guaranteed access to public funds is available. I'm not sure there was much that was levy generative about the 420 at Ripon yesterday, as it only had two runners. That's perhaps a story in itself. But the biggest story was that it saw jointly the shortest price defeated favourite in history, Doom 25 to 1 on in a match race, appropriately named because she was beaten by the Carl Burke trained Carmology. A surprise seemingly to everybody. But much of a surprise to the trainer himself? I wasn't totally surprised, no. But I mean, on on looking at on the paper and on the form, Do, uh, Doom did look a, a bit of a good thing. Um, we were very much going there just for the day out and the experience, expecting the race to be six or seven runners and um, close to home. I, I said to David and uh, Yvonne Blunt, who own and bred the filly, that there was she's really a mile and a quarter filly, Nick. And um, but when you're looking at, I was looking at the program book for her. And I was thinking she'd be ready to run sort of mid-September, but there's no races for her. So I said, rather than keep galloping at home, we might as well take her to the track. There's a mile fillies race there, three-year-old fillies only, and um, and give her a day out, not expecting the race to break up to two runners, which I, that, that's what did surprise me. Looking forward to the to the weekend. Uh, are you going to run Spy Catcher in the Sprint Cup? That will all be down to the lap of the gods, really. Um you know he's very much uh, a soft ground horse and um you know we really need a little bit of rain either that or um kirkland leaves the taps on for uh, 24 hours for us but i'm not sure that's going to happen okay so we we weather weather watch on that one um as regards the 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 irish champions festival I, we were talking about the philly fallen angel yesterday the two darn hot philly of clipper logistics is she all set for the moigler yeah very much i've just had a chat with joe foley and um, yeah, she, she, all, all systems go to send her over there. Danny Tudup a ride. I think she's a very, very um, promising filly and seems in great form. She's got the more we've done with her, then the more she's done, the more relaxed she's become, which is great. Um, as usual, the O'Briens seem to have the the key to the race. They've got half the field that are left in at the moment, but we're we're very excited to take them on. And you've got another two on Hotfully, Darnation, who won the Prestige Stakes at Goodwood the other day. Do they bear comparison, these two? Two totally different types of filly, uh, um, confirmation-wise and, and stature. Um, I think I think um, Fallen Angel was better on quicker ground, and I think the opposite, Darnation, probably had a best on soft ground. So I was ho- hoping we could keep them apart, and it looks like we are. And there's rain next week, which is great. So she sh- should hopefully turn up at Doncaster for the for the Group Two Phillies Mile there. Uh, and dramatised. What, what's the what's the verdict on her running in the Nunthorpe? And and can you get her to to peak again for the Flying Five? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. We've had a good chat there again with Joe a minute ago. Um, we're we're going to tr- send her. Um, She's ran twice now at York and disappointed twice. Now, whether that's the composition of the ground there, you know, it's very much a sandy base um, soil. Um, Danny was in the other day on yesterday and, and rode her a piece of work and he was saying himself he felt she's just wheel spinning at, um, at York. That said, you know, she very she hasn't really... 
when when you're in against these older sprinters and these um, these geldens and these these older colts, you know she very much looks uh, a female against them, and um, you know she hasn't bulked up like a, a, a true sprinter should. Even like a when you look at Highland Princess, very strong filly. Um, it's a shot to nothing. We, you know, we we had the Breeders' Cup in mind, but you wouldn't really want to go to the Breeders' Cup off the back of the York Run. So we're going to send her over to the Curra, see how we run, and um, you know, fingers crossed. She looks fantastic. She's she's uh, she owes us nothing. Hopefully, she can run a nice race that will um, allow us to send us the Breeders' Cup. But if not, I would think she'll be retired to the paddocks at uh, Branton Court. Trainer Carl Burke. I've got to confess, David Yates, that when I saw that there'd been a match and a 25s on shot had been beaten, I kind of assumed that the other the other horse in the race must be a 37 rated 15 race maiden or something. Not not a horse with a quite a nice pedigree trained by one of the best trainers in the country making his debut. Yeah, it, it's uh, agreed. Well, I suppose the other side of the race, we could look at the we could look at the outcome and think, well, how did one start at 25s on um and the other at, at at nine to one yeah this is the this is the joint biggest shock isn't it in terms of um in, in terms of the defeat of a favorite in british racing uh royal forest uh, was beaten by burfham in the clarence house stakes at ascot in september 1948 um there are if if um if you're the one of if you're the connections of doom well, a you're asking for trouble anyway by uh, giving a horse a name Doom. I know, I know that you know she's out of dank and all the rest of it. Um, but there are some reasons to be cheerful. Uh, Royal Forest won the Dewhurst on his next start and then went on to finish fourth in the 1914 Derby. So uh, that defeat at 25 to one on at Ascot in September 1948 served to buck his ideas up. Let's hope it can do the same with Doom. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the Irish Champions Festival, Irish Champions Weekend to you and me, but I don't think it's suitably old enough to get too hot and bothered about a change in, in name. David Yates is with me. David, you look across the two days. Just tell me what really strikes you. Is there anything that really stands out at you? The horse I'm really looking forward to seeing this weekend is Kiprios in the Irish St. Ledger uh, at the Curra on Sunday. Obviously, this was a horse who announced himself as the new powerhouse of the staying division in 2022, the wins at Royal Ascot in the Gold Cup, the Goodwood Cup, and then that 20-length annihilation of his rivals in the Prix du Cadran, that despite coming over to the stand side uh, to sign autographs in, in the closing stages. Remember, of course, your geometry lessons from school. He didn't actually lose uh, that much uh, in terms of distance by doing so. But... We didn't see Kiprios uh, for his defence of the Gold Cup at Royal Ascot in June, and we're now just about to see his return to action. But just reading between the lines, or not even doing that, just reading what Aidan O'Brien says, Nick, I'm just not sure what to expect here. He said a couple of weeks ago that uh, they were they felt very lucky and, and very sort of grateful that Kiprios was even coming back to a race course at all. Um, he said... 
uh, yesterday. It looks like Kiprios is going to make it. We have another four days to go with him, but it does look like he's going to get there, which is great. So it sounds, I, I know that Aidan O'Brien isn't a character to uh, lie back, put his feet up and light a cigar and tell you how well everything's going. That's why he's such a great trainer, because he's got that um, very uh, strong uh, self-critical mechanism. But it, it, does it sound to, to you like there's a, an awful lot of confidence behind Kiprios? It, it doesn't to me, really. When you think about how imperious uh, this horse was as a stare in 2022, I'm really wondering what we should expect this time around. Yeah, he, he spoke to Jane on the podcast last week, and I thought he sounded cautiously hopeful. I'd agree. I, I, I As far as the race itself is concerned, if the ground continues to dry out, and I know it's not going to be as dry at the Curragh as it is at Leperstown, but if it continues to dry out, it's not going to be in Hamish's favour. He, you know, you'd have thought he might not even run. Um, I can't believe it's going to be in Emily Dickinson's favour. Um, Kiprios seems not to mind most ground. Eldar Eldarov, I guess, would like a, a sound surface. And beyond that, Joseph's not going to run his two. It's basically nothing in the race. Jesse Harrington's got the outsider. And that's it pretty well. Broom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, could, it, it could be, up. it could be, it, it could be a, a classic in name only. Well, someone doubt whether it is anyway, but I think, I think a classic has to involve three-year-olds and three-year-olds only. But I think you're absolutely right about if things do dry out. Hamish, Emily Dickinson, it's sort of. It, it sort of leaves it for Eldar Elderoff, but I, I've thought that quite a few times uh, about the Roger Berrien four-year-old since he won the St. Ledger last year, and I've been wrong every time. So we'll see how it unfolds. Truly devastating news hit German and European racing yesterday, and that was that Philip Minerick, the Czech-born former German champion jockey who suffered that awful fall at Mannheim in 2020, had died at the age of, of 48. Uh, Philip had suffered really significant brain trauma in that fall, and he made... In many respects, a remarkable recovery. His wife, uh, Katja, uh, told the German racing website gallopline.de, we fought so hard, but in the end, we lost the battle against the ever-increasing depression. We need time to realise and process what had happened. And this news all the more stark because Philip was seen and was pictured with uh, fellow riders at Baden-Baden on, on Sunday. Uh, Freddie Talicki was a, a good friend of Philip Minerick. And joins me now, uh, Freddie. This is a a really difficult uh, story, a, a a tragic end to what was, in many respects, an enormously successful and and productive life. Just just tell me a little bit about about Philip and and your friendship with him. Yes. Good morning, Nick. Um, Philip was a, a fantastic guy. He was a a true friend, and um, you know you could ring him at any time of the day. He was always there. He was a fighter as well. He had a very successful career. Uh, four times champion jockey in Germany and um, I think 14 group ones so he very much knew um, what the what the life was all about as a jockey he rode with my with my late father um, back in the day obviously and he, he knew me from from growing up in Germany and we go back a long long way and um, he was just a, a, a fantastic bloke all around in, in my uh, yeah in my opinion and the dealings that I had with him whenever you rang him he was there uh, whenever whenever you asked him for a bit of advice or whatever else um, he was always there to to try and please you and give you an answer so it's very very sad um, 
I think for the whole racing community, especially for the for the German racing community, because um, he's been through a lot um, over the last three years, and you know the way he's fought back after his his terrible, terrible accident, career-ending accident, um, was was tremendous. It was very brave as well, and um, in the end, now it's it's very sad for everyone, and but more sad for his daughter. And obviously the wife as well and his family and um yeah what what you know what can you say to it i hope i hope he's found um, peace and happiness uh, and freddie you you clearly have a a deal more empathy than any of the rest of us uh, given your own fight from an horrific and, and life-changing fall and the, the 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 strength that that's required even to get to, to the point that he did you'll understand just just what that takes out of you You've got a friend there, and he's going to through something similar. And um, he was always there at the at the other end of the phone, and I was always there at the other end of the phone for him. So it was vice versa. And um, I was very sad for him to, you know, to to sort of see what he was going through and how how hard he had it to 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 get back uh, to where he wanted to be. And he, I suppose, he never got. To, to where he wanted to be it was always a struggle for him to um accept the fact that he wasn't the same anymore i mean he had terrible uh, head injuries um as well as as you know um he was able to walk again and everything else but life just wasn't the same for him and i think uh, he struggled to, to deal with that and in the end um he didn't sound too well anymore and he was very yeah, very negative about life, which was a shame. Um, and he just wasn't able to cope with it anymore, I suppose. Um, and I, I, from what I read, he when when he was well and, and when he was at the top of his game, he was the, the brightest personality. Uh, and that seems to be what, what has, uh, has really kind of come through in the tributes. Absolutely. I mean, he was the kind of guy, he was full of life, full of jokes, Um you know, we have a, a, a massive WhatsApp group with, with a lot of people um, in in in, um, in in German racing. There's X amount of people in it, and he was the one sort of leading the group with jokes and everything else and pictures and what have you. And it was always a joy to sort of follow him and 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 read read everything up that he was putting into the group. He was, you know, he was uh, the star of it, and. Yeah, it's you know, Nick. It's 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 so sad, really, to to see someone that has battled back after a career-ending um, accident and not being able to to cope with life anymore. I have to say, it it, um, it knocked me sideways and many other people as well. You know, Freddie Tulitsky on the tragic loss of the Czech-born multiple champion jockey in Germany, Philip Minerik. All right, so as you heard yesterday, um, the Department of Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee heard oral evidence from Andrew Rhodes, Chief Executive of the Gambling Commission, and his colleagues Sarah Gardner and Tim Miller. And after that, they quizzed the Right Honourable Stuart Andrew, who's the Minister for Sport, Gambling and Civil Society, and Ben Dean, the Director of Sport and Gambling of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Who better to uh, to pray see what happened yesterday than Neil Channing 
um, betting industry analyst, professional punter and regular on this podcast. Right, Neil, what was the top line yesterday as regards affordability checks? Well, as regards horse racing, the top line was definitely the minister saying that he didn't want to harm the racing industry and that uh, he wouldn't uh, be in favour of any checks that weren't frictionless. Uh, and given that the technology doesn't exist to do the checks totally in a frictionless way, uh, for people that just don't want to see affordability checks in any way, shape or form, uh, that, that felt like slight good news. I mean, I, I, I found it a game of two halves, really. Um, we started off uh, with the select committee questioning uh, Andrew Rose of the Gambling Commission and his mates, uh, and basically, I felt that that was just too deferential. They, I mean, I, I know that when select committees invite politicians along, it's very hard for politicians to say, no, I just don't fancy coming. I'm not going to turn up in front of you and give evidence. Uh, politicians, you know, it's part of the job. They have to do it. So I can see how they could be slightly harder on Stuart Andrew than they could on Andrew Rhodes. Um, but I, I felt like with Andrew Rhodes, they just were a bit deferential. Lots of the questions they asked Andrew Rhodes were kind of fact-based questions, things that if they'd have really done their homework and done some reading, uh, they were pretty easy questions to answer. And that meant that they didn't really get much time to really scrutinise them. Uh, I, I don't know, I found myself saying to somebody, um, <clears throat> if you see a parliamentary procedure, proceeding like yesterday's, on a subject that you know about and you feel like the MPs are a bit disappointing or they don't seem to have much knowledge, it kind of it really is bad, isn't it, for our democracy? Because you, you start to think, well, God, is, is that what they're like on all subjects? And I just haven't realised because I don't know enough about the other subjects. I, I came away thinking that uh, from the first part that they, they were a bit useless. Andrew Rhodes was able to... Uh, you know, give us a. He, he, well, you know, from him being on Luck on Sunday, he he's quite good at batting it away. Any any kind of bounces, but he didn't even really get much rough deliveries yesterday. Uh, it was a doddle for him. I should think he's quite pleased with his performance. Um, Neil, uh, what I want to know is whether there's any sense that the the committee asked Stuart Andrew or his senior civil servant whether they were going to sort out the Gambling Commission or whether they were going to make clear what the powers of the Gambling Commission were relative to this. No, you're right. That was, <clears throat> I mean, there were so many areas that were missing. Because well, well, after all said and done, isn't that the crux of this? Unless the Gambling Commission can be properly purposed for, for doing what it's supposed to do, then no matter, no matter whether frictionless checks, non-frictionless checks are recommended, come in or whatever... It, we're, st we're still in a regulatory fudge. As ever, Mr Luck, you have cut to the chase. You've got to the crux of the issue uh, because it's all very well for Stuart Andrew to say, well, you know, we, we want checks to be frictionless. We don't want any, any damage to be to horse racing and we only think that 3% of customers uh, should be affected by this. But, uh, you know, punters know because they live in the real world and they've been betting for the last two years when these checks have been going on that that's not how the Gambling Commission see it. They they grabbed all this power that's been given to them and they're drunk on it. You know, they, they are literally going after, you know, way more punters than, than Stuart Andrews talking about and they're asking 
uh, for a lot more information of people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, personally, I think the Gambling Commission need reining in, uh, but I don't see that happening. I think at the end of this, I mean, it's just, uh, Andrew Rose has had a huge pay rise during this uh, whole thing. You know, he's busy. Every time they find an operator, they pat themselves on the back. I mean, how can that be a sign that they're a regulator doing a great job? Every time an operator allows somebody to bet, you know, the numbers they were talking about yesterday, 70,000 in in uh, two days or 250,000 in six months, this, this is not something that the, opera, the, the regulator should be patting themselves on the back for discovering. This, this should be a humiliation for the, for the regulator. I think, I think Andrew Rhodes got away very lightly mm. yesterday, and that was partly because the MPs and them at home were kind of a bit disappointing, really. Neil Channing there on yesterday's events in Parliament. All right, tomorrow and, and possibly early Friday morning, this podcast will be coming from Yorton Farm, uh, annual trip to the, the Yorton sale, a sale with a real difference, which has been put together by the team there, David Futter and his team, and of course by uh, the sales house Goffs UK. Uh, George Stanners has uh, been all across this right from the inception uh, and from Goffs joins me now. Uh, George, I'd imagine there is no more beautiful place than, than Welsh Pool this morning. Yeah, morning, Nick. Um, yeah, you're, um, you join me here. We're at Yorton. We're um, in the final preparations. There is not a cloud in the sky. It's gorgeous, beautiful weather. Uh, it's to be the same again tomorrow. So we're, uh, we're really looking forward. Yeah, we're looking over the Powys uh, countryside. So we're in mid Wales. We're just an hour at the studs located, so just about 40 minutes south of, uh, of Chester. Uh, 20 minutes to the uh, to the west of Shrewsbury, so it's uh, no, it's it's a beautiful location. So, team have worked hard, um, but it's all coming together beautifully. Horses look well. Uh, they were all vetted yesterday, so that box is ticked now. Um, and we're looking forward to some people hopefully arriving later this afternoon to start the viewings. Clearly, given that the, the bulk of what is being sold are extremely nicely bred jumping two-year-olds, there'll be a lot of people wishing to re-offer those next year. There'll also be some end users as well. If you've got foresight, I always think this is where you can get serious value for money. Yes, Dave has always he's traded his entire uh, career in, in, in bloodstock. Um, so there are horses here. We're delighted. If people come here and they can find some some value with horses that are are, are reoffered at the store sales next year, uh, we're selling predominantly two year olds. Uh, there's about forty two year olds, about ten or twelve uh, yearlings. We didn't have yearlings last year, but we reintroduced those. Um, so those you know offer a good pin hooking uh, opportunity. But uh, there will also be plenty end users here, trainers and and so on. We've got people coming over from from Ireland. Um, and we've got some French trainers and agents and breeders coming over and uh, obviously backed up by the domestic market. Um, it, it's really, we're trying all these uh, two-year-olds and yearlings for the last 10, 12 weeks. I've done a bit of loose schooling. They've all been tied and tack, had rollers on. They're, the education here is, is, is a vital part of, of Dave's uh, thinking. So Lester and, and his team they lead, that, uh, lead that operation. Uh, I've been working hard, hard on that, but it's it's good. It was, you know, the graduates, it, the proof's in the pudding, obviously, and um, it was great that uh, last season uh, the first Grade One winner came from the sale. We've had Redemption Day. He was he was Grade One placed, and uh, hopefully he'll be back this season for for Willie Mullins. But uh, in the pocket, who was a homebred, 
uh, by Blue Brazil, former resident here, uh, and he was sold actually as a yearling for, for 25000 um, and won his point-to-point for Paul Cashman and, and won the, the grade one uh, novice hurdle at, uh, at entry this year. So that was fantastic. The graduates are coming from it. And we must remember that the eldest stock from this sale are still only six-year-olds. So um, it, it, it really, there's so much more to happen. Um, so, yeah, we're excited. It, it's a mi- the sale's made up of a mixture of, of homebreds. Uh, there's a strong broodmare band here at Yorton, but also myself and Dave um, have been out, sourced stock from, from Ireland and, and France and so on. Um, so it's, it's very much a, a mixture of um, British bread, French bread, um, fillies and, and geldings. And, um, yeah, I think we've got a, a, really, a really strong bunch. So hopefully there's another grade one winner in, in amongst them. George Stanis there, looking forward to heading up to Yorton bright and early tomorrow morning and delivering the podcast from there. Yortonfarm.co.uk if you want to see the lots, and there's some wonderful video as well of these two-year-olds loose schooling. Can't stress enough the value you're likely to get if you get in early. Yesterday's big auction was the Tattersall's Somerville Stale Park. Yesterday's big auction was the Tattersall's Somerville Sale, and it yielded some truly wonderful results from a whole variety of of connections. Uh, Monksland Stables Prince of Lear filly went to Diego Diaz, this upwardly mobile trainer, for 130,000 guineas. This was a superb result for the, the Hassett family who owned Monksland Stables. The filly was bred by Trio Bloodstock, which is Maeve, Orla, and Richie Hassett. Richie led up the filly and they assist their parents, Tom and Clodagh Hassett. It's a proper family venture, this, and this was a a massive result. I've been speaking to Tom Hassett this morning, and this is what he had to say about uh, about yesterday at Tattersalls. Uh, Ash, look, it was a it was a big day for us, especially for the lads. It was their first um, big sale, like you know, they had a few uh, bad bad years as well, like when they were out. Like we we used to pin holes, and, and and it didn't work out right for. But um, to, 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 it's nice to see things going right. We keep we keep about twenty mares here in in, in We we, we keep them all as uh, as and can and consign them. We have a good uh, man consigned the uh, platinum for us, Adam Morgan, and uh, he, he turns them out very well for us. Uh, actually, they were over the moon like with the result, like. Uh, Myself and Claude were very happy, you know, know that things worked out for him. You can you can have good good sales and bad sales, but yesterday was one of a good one overall for us. She she went down very well from the first show to the last show, and 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 she done it every time she came out. Like, but um, we weren't expecting that kind of money for her. Wonderful stuff. Tom Hassett there. Now, as I said at the very beginning of the programme, nominations open. We are officially launching the Thoroughbred Awards, the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards 2023, sponsored by Godolphin. The awards will be uh, given out in a a star-studded ceremony in February. I'm really looking forward to chairing the judging panel again and particularly looking forward to welcoming back the last two winners. The first time we'll have had the last two uh, winners on the judging panel, Paddy Trainer and Sarah Guest last year from John O'Shea's stable, which will be fantastic. And we need you to nominate the staff that you think are worthy 
of these awards at thoroughbredawards.co.uk. You don't have to be a trainer. You can be a colleague, a peer, a friend, whatever. Just get your nomination in and make it good. Uh, This is the 20th running of the Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards with £128,500 in prize money. Nominations are now open. Thoroughbredawards.co.uk. David Yates is still with me and he has a tip for you for today. It's in the 425 race at Savile today, and it's one of the best-named horses in training, Nick. Thomas Equinus, uh, number eight on your card. Comes here on a hat-trick after victories over seven and a mile at Chelmsford City, but ran well on his only visit to Savile, and I hope can better that second of last spring and rack up the threesome here. It's the 425 race at Savile. Selection is number eight, Thomas Equinus. David, thank you very much. I hope Thomas Aquinas can do the business for you. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Wednesday, the 6th of September. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.